Hey, this is Ben Lilly. A super quick reminder that we need your help to keep going. We hope you enjoy these podcasts and believe, as we do, that telling stories of the personal side of science is important. If you do, please contribute. Head to storycollider.org slash donate for more details. And thank you. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from Craig Lehockey. The story was recorded in October 2013 at the Rex Theater in Pittsburgh as part of an event for stories by graduate students at Carnegie Mellon University. So, like most families um, in this region, my family came to Pittsburgh for the opportunities of the steel industry. My grandfather worked in the mill, and my father worked in the mill, and many other members of my family. Um, fortunately, fortunately for me, um, by the time I was born in the 80s, any semblance of manufacturing had left America, and I did not have to go work in the mill. But people moved on, and growing up, I worked for my father's construction business, and this was a very formative experience in my youth. Um, replacing septic tanks and removing asbestos, um, it was highly influential to me in deciding to get the hell out of there and go into science. Um, in science, I didn't really have a background, and I didn't know what a professional career entailed. Um, but I saw a field where good, honest, hard work was rewarded. I had this vision of science as something that was strictly egalitarian. Trivial things like social status and personal hygiene did not matter at all. <laughs> yeah. If you do good science, the data will speak for itself. So my journey really started when I was 17, and I was accepted to the Pennsylvania Governor's School for the Sciences at Carnegie Mellon. This is essentially a summer-long nerd camp for math and science students across the state. And my world began expanding immediately. As far as I can tell, this was the first time I'd met a Jewish person. <laughs> and my intellectual curiosities were also expanding. Um, the more I learned about the universe, it seemed the more questions I had. I decided then and there I was going to be an astrophysicist. astrophysicist. I had this romantic vision of gazing through telescopes and drowning in equations and smoking a pipe. <laughs> and it, it was just beautiful. And so, eager to return home, and I was eager to start applying to colleges. And my dad quickly smashed that idea, saying, there's no such thing as a job for an astrophysicist. And that's how I decided to become an engineer. <laughs> so I enrolled at the University of Pittsburgh and moved far away to the big city. Almost immediately, I became involved in research and started working with some amazingly talented and intelligent individuals. I began to become acclimated to the philosophies of the academic world. For the first time, I was encouraged to be curious for curiosity's sake. It didn't have to be practical at all. And I was actually required to question everything. This was in stark contrast to working construction for my dad, where 
We were limited to three questions a day, one of which was, when is lunch? <laughs> and slowly I became more and more involved, and I began to learn the language of science. But I found out that eventually my translation didn't sound quite right. Um, and I found this out one day when I was required to present at a lab meeting. And so if we denote omega on the x-axis, you can see these data aren't correlated at all. And this might indicate that our parameters need tuned or it's possible the model needs adjusted. <laughs> and I concluded my talk and I was pretty proud. I've been working really hard on my research and I opened the floor to questions. Um, but I looked out and there really weren't any hands in the air. It was more people giggling and smiling. <laughs> and smirking, and I, was, I really had no idea what was going on. So afterwards, a more senior colleague took me aside, and he was being polite, but he asked me, do you always speak like that? And I had no clue what he was talking about, so I just kind of shrugged awkwardly. And that was the first time in my life that I learned about past participle verbs. <laughs> I mean, to paint the picture, I was a junior in college, and I had no idea you needed to follow some of these pesky words like want or need with the clause to be. I mean, I was an engineer, too. It just seemed so inefficient to me and bl blowing my mind. And I was also told that I apparently have some kind of accent. Now, I was 22 years old, and I had been living geographically in the same place I'd been my entire life. Everyone sounded exactly the same as I did. And now I was in this entire new world where I sounded different, although I was still essentially in my hometown. And I started to feel like I don't sound like the people I admire, and I don't sound like the people I aspire to be in this academic and intellectual world. So I started to become a little bit self-conscious about it, um, but I continued to work hard and continued expanding my professional circle. And my research was going pretty well, getting somewhat successful. And I started meeting a lot of people from around the country and around the world. And whenever I would, they would ask me where I was from, I would tell them, I'm from Pittsburgh. It was always kind of the odd, oh. And then I would just be so surprised with people's perception of Pittsburgh. Basically, everyone had this idea that Pittsburgh was this dirty, grimy, run-down place just decimated by the collapse of the steel mills. And all of us locals are depressed, just unemployed people. And the only salvation we have is a Steelers win on Sunday. That's all we have to live for, basically. And apparently, we have this quirky way of talking. We say things like yins and at and a bunch of other goofy stuff. And apparently we have this accent. It kind of sounds like a garbled, grotesque accent just because of generations of abusing pierogies and Iron City beer. <laughs> and this is just the... And some of this might be true, for sure. Um, but all these people had this perception, and I didn't want to be mired in this stereotype of old Pittsburgh um, I, the Pittsburgh I knew was a very vibrant place. It was a place I loved, and it truly was a hub of research in science and engineering and medicine. 
So I didn't want to represent that old picture of Pittsburgh. I wanted to represent what I thought my image and vision of Pittsburgh was. So I tried to start changing what I saw as these flaws in myself. Basically, I wanted to sound as plain as possible. I wanted to sound like that AM radio host who only gets on at 4 AM. So I started speaking slowly and got a little quieter. And I started enunciating and articulating and even used inflection. (laughs) And I tried avoiding some of those tricky words with the long O's. Those are hard for us, especially when you're in a field like robotics. (laughs) Robotics. Robotics. So I continued improving in my research and in my personal goals. Um, During my senior year, I knew I wanted to apply to MD-PhD programs. It was going to be a long haul for me. So I thought maybe it'd be good for me to study abroad a year before I undertake such a a venture. So I applied to do research with an eminent professor at the University of Cambridge in England. And I've completed the application, sent it in. Months went by. I pretty much forgot about it. And then Thanksgiving break rolled around. Um, A couple friends and I, we decided to escape home from Thanksgiving break, and we took a road trip down south. Um, The night before Thanksgiving, we went to a local bar, and we ended up giving far too many thanks at this bar. The next morning was Thanksgiving morning, and I was awoken at 7 a.m. by a phone call from an unknown number. Now, to this day, I have no idea why I answered this call. I never answer unknown numbers. I just block those and screen them immediately. But I answered this one with a very, very groggy, hello. (laughs) And, of course, on the other end is the most beautiful and eloquent English accent I've ever heard in my life with just absolute command of the language. And I realized immediately that this was the professor from Cambridge, that this was my interview, and that apparently the English do not celebrate Thanksgiving. (laughs) So I realized this was going to be a complete disaster, and I asked if he would let me call him back in a couple minutes. He said, fine. I ran to the kitchen, I made a pot of coffee, and tried to regain any cognitive faculties that were left at this point. So... Eventually, I I call him back, and the interview begins. And I was in that really, really weird state between still drunk and hungover, and I could just feel it consuming every part of my body. I could barely make out what research I had done for the past two years, let alone hamper any indication of this thick, kielbasa-filled accent of mine. So everything was just coming out across the phone. I had no defense. And this went on for two hours, talking about my research, my goals, and my ideas. So the interview concluded, um, and I had mixed emotions about how it went. On one hand, we talked extensively for two hours. On the other hand, I'm pretty sure I sounded like a complete jag-off. And... (laughs) He probably didn't understand half of what I said. As it would turn out, um, a couple months later, I found out I was actually accepted for to go study at Cambridge. And it was just such a confidence boost. And 
kind of started getting me o- over some of these insecurities and issues I, I started to develop about myself. Um, I realized that the science and my desire and passion to pursue it would overcome any barriers, especially the ones that I set for myself. And I started to feel accepted as a scientist. Um, Ultimately, my heart got the best of me, and I decided not to go to the Cambridge and decided to study in another city. I'm sure you can guess which one. Um, So I've lived in Pittsburgh my whole life. I haven't left, but science has really opened the world to me. And I feel just incredible to be a part of such a diverse community at this point. This past spring, I was invited to give a talk at a conference in Vicenza, Italy, in northern Italy. Um, So one morning, I was having breakfast at a small cafe with a colleague whom I'd met at the conference. And we were talking about the ongoings at the conference, and we're having a great conversation. I was getting really excited about it, and I was probably being far too loud for the customs of a European cafe. And then all of a sudden, I felt a tap on my shoulder. And I turned around, and a stranger was behind me. And he said, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I overheard you talking. Are you from Pittsburgh? (laughs) That was Craig Lehockey. Craig's tinkering runs deep. He currently develops surgical robots as an MD-PhD student at CMU and University of Pittsburgh. Before that, he worked on prosthetic limbs controlled by the brain at the University of Pittsburgh. And even before that, he restored cars, houses, and guitar amplifiers at the university of his dad. He doesn't know what tinkering his future holds, but hopes it unfolds in Pittsburgh. This event was part of a collaboration with PCR, Public Communications for Researchers at Carnegie Mellon. Huge thanks to them, the Carnegie Mellon College of Engineering, the Vice Provost for Education, and the Division of Student Affairs for support. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Avalith. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrugio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Rex Theater for hosting the show, to Adonai Yosef, Jesse Dunyetz, and Arden Shore at PCR for enormous help putting this together, and to Accents for making the world better. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.